You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. Good morning and welcome to Southridge. How's everybody doing this morning? Doing good? What a great looking group this morning. All the dads look like you just had a great start to your morning. Hopefully somebody grabbed some breakfast in bed for you or something. Or maybe they're taking you out to your favorite restaurant this afternoon. But today, dads, today is your day. And uh, we're just excited that you would choose Southridge to be a part of starting off your Father's Day celebration. It is a joy and privilege to be with you. If this is your first time at Southridge, well, I would like to personally welcome you. My name is Micaiah Irma, the pastor here at Southridge. And if you would take a minute on your seat, there's a connection card. We'd love for you at any point in the service to fill that out. And then you can drop that off at our guest table, to table as you came in. We'd love to have a record of your attendance, but also we have a gift for you. And then we also have a gift for all the fathers today. So on your way out, we have a gift for you. As well as, hopefully, you grabbed a raffle ticket on your way in. Because we're going to do a uh, raffling at the end of the service. Say, what are we going to raffle away? We have some man crates, all right? These are some cool boxes just filled with stuff that dudes would like. You say, like what? Well, one of them is filled with a bunch of uh, meat just from around the world, just different types of meat. So that's a, that's a good thing for guys. Another one is filled with just spicy stuff. So if you like spicy, hot things, one of them has that. And then another one is, uh, any of you coffee lovers, it is a port- portable uh, pour-over kit. Just so as you're traveling, you just you, Starbucks just doesn't do it for you or anything like that. And, uh, you know, you have your own kit, you know, some of you coffee connoisseurs. So we're going to raffle those away. And all the men should have gotten a ticket for the raffle. You don't have to be a father for the raffle. You just got to be a dude. And so hopefully you grab your ticket on your way in. Uh, today is a special day for me. Uh, last week, my father was here. And this Sunday... My father-in-law is here, so I get a double blessing. Can we just thank my in-laws for being here? I am privileged by the men that God has placed in my life. Uh, My father's a great example, and my father-in-law is also a great example. Raised four kids, immigrated here, and I'm so thankful he did because I wouldn't have my wife without him. So thank you, Dad, for uh, uh, bringing Jane over. He's raised four kids, has five grandkids, and No, no, he has four, expecting the fifth. Any day now. Any day now. So uh, pray for uh, Jane's sister. And also want to say thank you for all those who have been praying for Jane and her recovery. She is doing fantastic. And uh, we find out the results from the procedure this Friday. So just keep her in prayer, would you? And also, a few weeks ago, I asked the church to pray about my unspoken. Well, guess what? Today is the day that I keep asking you to pray for my unspoken. All right? Yeah, yeah, just keep praying for that. All right, because it's working. That's all I can tell you. It is working. Prayer works. All right, keep praying. Well, if you have your Bible, take it to the book of Genesis. If you don't know where that is, just go to the beginning and then turn right a few pages. We're going to go right back to the beginning on Father's Day. My prayer today, men, is not to beat you up, but to build you up. And I hope you know that that's God's heart for you as well. There's nothing harder today than being a man. And I know, I know that oftentimes, The women are like, oh, yeah, I'd love to see you push out a nine-pounder. Like, when you do that, you get back to me. What do you mean, it's hard being a man? What I mean by it's hard being a man, I'm just saying that the amount of spiritual attack that a man faces, ladies, we just can't adequately describe it. Because culture knows something, whether you agree with it or not, that it knows if it could take out the men, it's got everything else. So that's why all the marketing is to go after men. Have you noticed that? It's like, hey, how can we slap some uh, illicit substance or illicit pictures on it? Because they're marketing one thing. And so the goal today uh, is really to destroy what God has set as the man. 
And I know some of you may get uncomfortable because I'm going to really try to encourage the men and try to encourage them to be what God has called them to be because God puts a special place in the man. And he's got a special place for them. We're going to see that right from Genesis. So we're going to be studying out of Genesis chapter number 2 this morning. You see, the world today is filled with males, but few men. The world is filled with males, but few men. There is a difference. You can ask the uh, ladies that have been on dates that said, never again will I go on a date with that male. He's a male, but he's not a man. What's this? I left my wallet at home. What's that trash? Making me pay. What's that trash? Man, I can't believe that. You see, we we now live in a culture where it's hard to find a man. It's hard to find, or it's even harder to find a godly man. They're few and far between. But I want you to know that God's plan for a man has been from the beginning to raise up men. That's been his plan. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter number 2, but understand Genesis chapter number 1 is an overview of the creation story. So as you read through the Bible, you'll come to Genesis chapter number 1, and you will see a deep, or excuse me, you will see an overview that is a 30,000 foot flyover of creation as a whole, but it's not until you get to chapter 2 of Genesis that that's when we start to get deeper into how the creation story took place. And so we're going to go to Genesis chapter number 2, and let's begin reading in verse number 4. And I'm going to read several verses, and then we're going to unpack these together on this Father's Day. Notice, if you would, beginning in verse number 4, the Bible says, This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. If you have a highlighter or a pen, would you underline that portion of Scripture? And there was no man to till the ground. The progress that God had planned could not keep moving forward because there was not a man. God is letting us know right from the beginning in Scripture that there was a problem, but the solution to the problem was a man. And this is not to put down women. That's not what I'm doing. Don't, don't, please don't take offense at it. I'm just saying in Scripture, God said, there's a problem. There's not a man. Today, Scripture is telling men, you've got all kinds of problems. Understand, you were created as the solution to a problem. And we're going to keep on reading. That's just in verse number 5. Notice, if you would, verse 6. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Please skip down to verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone, and I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was the name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The Bible is about a king, a kingdom, and his royal kids. That's the Bible. The Bible is about a king, God, his kingdom. When the disciples said, teach us to pray, he said, pray, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Today, I hear a lot of people talking about evacuation. Just can't wait till the rapture happens. Just want to get out of here. But God is not about evacuation. He's about occupation. You see, we are called to be his royal kids. Because the Bible is about a king, God, his kingdom, which isn't just in heaven. God is saying, bring it here. The Bible even tells us in Luke 19, occupy till I come. But yet, so many times we find that the men, and I'm going to speak to men. So ladies, kick back, catch up on Pinterest, Facebook, whatever. No, just kidding, don't do that. But understand, today, men, you have a high and holy calling on your life. Whether you realize it or not. And today, I'm not here to beat you up, but build you up into that calling. To help remind you that God has called you. And God is trying to speak, and he wants to let you know that you are part of his divine plan. You see, there was a problem we found in verse number 5, but God's solution was to produce a man. Please go to verse number 7 one more time, and let's look at it. The Bible says, And Lord God formed man out of the dust. Please say dust this morning. You know, I'm learning a lot about buildings lately. And when I look at buildings... I find that the things that catches my eye are the beautiful designs from the architect. Some of the architectural drawings are a marvel in this area. We have some beautiful architecture in the Bay Area. But as you talk to an engineer, he will tell you that's not the most important thing about the building. You say, well, it must be the sprinkler system in case there's a fire. You know, you got to have a good sprinkler system in case there's a fire. He'll say, that's important, but it's not the most important thing. Oh, well, it must be the walls that hold up the building. You know, you've got to have good, strong walls. You know, 16 on center. You've got to make sure there's some good studs in there. And, and you say, that's important, but that's not the most important thing. Well, it can't be the wallpaper, and it can't be the paint and the carpet. It can't be the restrooms. It can't be the drinking fountains. It can't be the lights. What can it be? The most important part of every building is the part that none of us ever see. The most important part about you, man of God, is what nobody can see. You see, whenever they begin to build a building, you know the first thing they look at? The dirt. You say, no, why? Well, the dirt? Yeah, nobody thinks about the dirt. Nobody thinks to get down in the dirt. We remember this as little kids. You remember this? I mean, it used to be your parents would say, oh, you're sick? Go eat a spoonful of dirt. That'll build up that immune system. Just get some dirt in you, you know? Or if you've got a cut, rub some dirt in it, you know? It's just kind of the way they did it. And now we've gotten away from dirt, but God's trying to bring us back to the dirt. And this morning, let's talk about some dirt for a little bit. It's okay when we get back into the dirt because God took man out of the dirt. You say, what's the most important part about a building is the thing that happened in the dirt. What do we put in the dirt? What do we put in the ground? The foundation. You see, today there's kind of this misnomer, and I caught myself saying this a week ago. And this is a mistake that every once in a while men will make. I am the head of this family. I'm the head, which is basically saying, I'm losing my grip of control right now, and I need to maintain dominance. It's, we're just giving ourselves away. It's all we're doing, men, when we start to quote scripture. God calls me the head, bless God. And she don't care. Your kids don't care. You can call yourself the head whatever we want. We're eating here, and we're doing this, you know. And you can call yourself the head. But what happens is that mentality think, is, slips into our mindset. Hey, finish this phrase for, uh, for me if you know it. Behind every good man is an even better woman. Woman, that was, never mind, it's not as common as I thought, all right? Behind every good man is an even better woman. The only problem with that, that's, that, that is not kingdom thinking, that's cultural thinking. And we're about the kingdom, not culture. You see, the problem today is we've adopted cultural thinking and not kingdom thinking about manhood. And I want to encourage us to get back to kingdom-minded manhood. Because God calls men to be men. And yet today, sometimes in the church, we've emasculated men. And our churches are filled with women and children. Now, do we love women and children? Absolutely. We are thankful for every child that's part of Rich Kids. And we are thankful for every woman that's here. But understand, God puts a high priority on the men that are here. Because men, you're the foundation. So guess what? You're not on top. You're actually on the bottom. Don't think about that too much. All right? 
All right? The Bible, Bible. Some of you guys are like, well, it's Father's Day, you know, and uh, it's good things happen. Wrap it up, preacher. Come on. Men are on the bottom of the foundation. And what happens is everything's built on the foundation. But remember what, if any of the men came to men's activity, how my dad talked to the men and he said, there's two types of builders, one built on sand, one built on the rock. What type of foundation do we have? And today you see men are the foundation and that's why culture is crumbling. Because the men aren't very strong anymore. We've emasculated them. We've not shown them what true masculinity looks like. Instead, we've got men that, to show their masculinity, think they need to beat their wives into submission. They think that they've got to show their dominance somewhere by committing some crime or to show how macho they are or to, get, uh, or to, or to show it off in through a, a muscle car or to th- show it off through their, through, through their job or something. But understand, a, a man is called to be the foundation that holds everything up. That's why God went to the dirt to get us. God went to the dirt. Think about this. Did God go back to the dirt after that? No. Where did God get the woman? Did he get her from the dirt? No. God got the woman from the man. You see, God only went to the dirt to get the men, to get the foundation. We are the foundation that everything is built on. And today, the Bible, even in Psalm says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And our foundations are crumbling. And I know we talk about our, our foundations here in the United States, but I'm talking about the foundations that God has put inside of every man. You are to be the foundation that everything in your family is built on. But what happens today is we have men that don't understand that the foundation carries the load. And yet we have men that are thinking, I'm the head, so actually I shouldn't have to carry the load. I shouldn't have to do the work. But understand, God designed you differently, man. He designed you to be able to support the load. And what happened is man no longer wants to support the load. They don't want to raise their kids. They don't want to love the wife. They don't want to be the hard workers. They don't want to be the spiritual leaders. And they don't understand that you're the foundation that everything is built on. So if you're not doing it, then who's going to do it? You're going to abdicate your role, which is what happens in Genesis chapter number 3. You're going to see that play it out. But yet we are called the foundation. The foundation is the most important part. But if the foundation begins to crack and crumble, what do you think is going to happen to the rest of the building? We live in the Bay Area. We've got a lot of fault lines everywhere. A lot of crumbling buildings. Gilroy, two weeks ago, had a four-point-something earthquake. You know, a little, little shaking. Not too bad. But we've got, in San Francisco, you can look at the Millennial Tower, and that thing is leaning. And I talked to an architect not long ago, and we were joking about the Millennial Tower, and he said, you know, it can be fixed. Nobody wants to pay enough money to fix it. And I was, he was like, it's astronomical how much it would cost to fix a leaning building. So since nobody's fixing it, guess what happens? It's going to keep leaning, the Millennial Tower. We have our very own leaning tower of Pisa, and people live in Millennial Tower. Joe Montana has his name on the building. I don't know if you know this. He got super upset that his name's on a building that's slowly leaning. It's got people in there. And I thought about what the architect, or excuse me, what the civil engineer said. He said, nobody wants to pay the money to fix it. And I think that's the problem with culture today, especially with men. We don't want to pay the cost that it's going to take to fix it. We don't want to do the deep work on the foundational work. And instead, we're okay with the daddy issues. But we need to get back to the dirt and say, you know what, God, you've created me. The foundation of the family is the father. And that's why the goal is to take fathers out. You see, too often we have put man out in front. But understand, when the children fall, they fall on the mom. When the mom falls, the mom falls on the husband. We're the last line of defense. We we bear the burden. We, We carry everything. And we do it with joy. We do it with gladness. We do it because that's what we're called to do. But yet today we live in a culture that no longer wants to carry the load. We've lost sight that we're foundational, that we carry everything. And so this morning, I want us to understand that we need to get back to carrying the load. So first of all, men carry the load. But then secondly, men connect them to the Lord. The foundation connects everything. Everything is connected to that foundation. Otherwise, it falls. You and I are supposed to be connected to God. And fathers need to lead the way. Joshua, as for me and my house, 
We will serve the Lord. Who is making sure everybody's connected to the Lord in your house? You say, well, my wife, she's, she's just a really good spiritual leader. You know? My goal, my prayer for each man here is that our wife would say the exact opposite. That our wives would say, you know what, my husband is, if you think I can pray, if you think I like to read the Bible, if you think I worship, it's actually my husband. He's the one who's taught me. He's the one that I'm following. He's the example that I can, I can look to is reading his Bible. He's the one that I can look to when he's under stress and strain. There's the man that bears under the weight and connects me to the Lord. He's the one that reminds me, hey, have you done your devotions? Hey, how, how's your prayer life going for? How, how are things going? He's the one that connects with his children and goes to his children and says, hey, I'm praying for you. I want you to know that God loves you. That one that's connecting. Who do you think is going to connect this next generation to God? Are you, letting, are you thinking the public school system is going to connect your child to God? Are you thinking your local government is going to take that role and connect them to God? Do you think your children's pastor is going to connect them to God? They have a desire to, but one hour a week is not enough. Parents, it's up to us to say, you know, I'm going to connect you to God. For the next 18 years, I'm going to keep raising you up. And it doesn't have to stop at the age of 18. You say, well, they're an adult now. What 18-year-old do you think is really an adult? Come on. And any 18-year-old that's offended that I said that, that just shows you lack the maturity to understand how immature you are. Okay? We knew nothing when we were 18. And so we can still have a parent's involvement. You say, parents, you say, well, you know what? I didn't get saved till later. My child has already grown. Here's a secret, parents. Here's what I've noticed. If I want my kids to do something, I reach into my wallet and I open it up and say, hey, you know what? This talks right here, doesn't it? You say, you got a 20-year-old and uh, they won't meet with you to have a Bible study over coffee or anything. Just say, hey, I'll buy breakfast and uh, maybe I'll pay for your gas or something. They will come a-running. You say, well, that's 32. They will come a-running when you show a little green. All of a sudden, you say, I got a debit card. They will show up. And here's what's amazing. You get to build that connection. I think too often, especially dads, we feel like once they're 18, it's out of our control. It's never out of your control. It's just whether or not you will wade into the mess and say, you know what? I'm going to keep trying. Because one day, your children will realize dad just never gave up. He was just the foundation, just kept going. You know, they never say a house is totally destroyed until the foundation's gone. It's when the foundation's gone, that's when the house is destroyed. It's gone. But as long as there's a foundation, the house is not done. It can have some setbacks, but if that foundation is secure, if that foundation is solid, then guess what? You can still build on that foundation. You can build on it. And so this morning, let's go back to understanding that we are the foundation that God has called us to. And that's where God went to the dirt. But not, a, not only did God go to the dirt, notice if you would, verse number 15. The Bible says, Then the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. First of all, we see fathers are the foundation. Secondly, I want you to see that fathers have a function. You say, what do you mean a function? A function is a purpose. You did not become a father because you produced an offspring. You understand that, right? There's a lot of people who, I'm going to get real vulgar here. They're sperm donors, okay? They're not fathers, okay? There is a difference. So understand that just because you can produce a child does not make you a father. Go back to the Hebrew word for father. Do you know what the Hebrew word for father is? Abba. Abba. I went to Israel in 2010, and you would just walk around the streets of Jerusalem. My in-laws pay for that trip. Thank you very much. I still preach about it. It's awesome. And uh, we would walk around the streets of Jerusalem, and you can hear the children saying, Abba. And you just look, because you're like, that's a biblical term, but it's not a biblical term. It's actually, that's what they call their father. It's a term of endearment. Jane just went through surgery, and, and typically Cain is mommy, mommy, mommy. And then when Jane... Uh, got home, it was so sweet because Jane was on that medication and heavily, heavily sedated. Heavily, heavily. She's not used to medication. Her and her mother have extremely high pain tolerance, and so they never take heavy medication. So Jane was hallucinating. It was hilarious. I should have filmed the whole thing. But, but Cain, it was so sweet because Jane was just out of it. And little Cain, he was like, ran up to the car door, and he, this is kind of sad, he was like, Mommy, I thought you had died. How sad. So ever since last week, 
for four, year, four and a half years of his little life, it's been mommy, mommy, mommy. But all of a sudden, it's changed. Mama, mama. He doesn't, he, he, you know how when, when you want to get sympathy or you go up an octave, it's, it's higher. He's got a little, little four-year-old voice, but he, mama. He's so sensitive to Jane right now. He's so sensitive to that. And it's so endearing. It's so sweet. Well, that's what Abba is. It's so endearing. It's so sweet. But understand what Abba means. You know what under, uh, Abba means? It means source. Say source this morning for me. Source. It means the source. That's what a father is. You're the source. You know why we call God our heavenly father? He's our source. Everything comes from him. But Abba doesn't just mean source. Do you also know that it means sustainer? Some of you Abbas in the room, you're like, yeah, I've been sustaining them for way too long. Time for you to go find another sustainer. I think McDonald's can sustain you, all right? I think Jack in the Box, you know, $15.95 an hour. Time for you to go work for somebody. Somebody else be your Abba. I'm going broke being your Abba. Abba means source. It means sustainer. Abba also means supplier. These are all the things that Abba means, that God calls us. Abba means supporter. In a whole, you know what Abba really means? You put it all together, foundation. Because that's what a foundation does. The supporter, it's the sustainer. Everything is there, it's wrapped up. And that's what God calls us. He says you're Abba, the sustainer, the supporter. And here we see in verse 15 that God gives this Abba, this God the Father gives Adam something, a function, a purpose. See, God's plan for humanity is for humanity to look just like heaven. And so God is a father. He wants us to produce as men wants us to produce. And here's what God does, though. Notice that God never handed Adam a finished product. He said, I want you to go into the garden to tend it and keep it, to cultivate it. You see, a man has a job to do. That's to cultivate. You say, what do you mean cultivate? Cultivate simply means to bring forth something, to make something better. And I think that's what we've lost today is that are our families better? We love it when somebody brags about our job and says, man, your, your division, your company, your, 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 your uh, uh, quotas are just off the charts. You're doing such a great job because you're a cultivator. That's what Abba does, cultivate it. But in your family, are you, what are you cultivating? I think we need to be able to look at our spouse and say, man, my spouse is better than when I found her. You don't like your spouse? Fathers in the room, husbands in the room, we only have ourselves to blame. Because we're the fathers, we're the leaders, we're the Abbas, we're the ones to support, sustain, we're the ones that to make it better, to cultivate, to tend it. You don't have a garden, but the principle is there to tend it and keep it. And here's what's interesting. God gave Adam work before the fall. You see, man needs work, and God knew this. Hey, this will blow your mind, and women don't get offended at this. God gave Adam work before he gave him a woman. I think we forget about that. What do we always say? Well, my family comes first. Ladies, I hate to say it, but God put it in men to have work come first. But work can become an idol. Now, hear me. There's a difference between work and a job. Okay? Let me break it down for you. There's a difference between work and a job. A job is where you go to get paid. Work is a purpose and a calling. Work, your work, your purpose, you would do even if you didn't get paid. Even if I don't get paid, I still, this is my calling, this is my work. And that's why God called Eve, what did he call Eve? A helper. A helper for what? To wash your laundry, to cook your meals? Is that, is that really God's grand design that God said, you know what? This guy can't work a microwave on his own, can't work a toaster, probably starve. And so guess what? I need to find somebody who can work a microwave and a toaster and somebody that can, when he goes and hunts those animals, we need somebody to sew that leather together. And we need somebody to, you know, tidy up the cave, the, the, the original man cave. We need somebody to sweep and clean. Is that what God created woman for? Because that is so demeaning. That's not at all. You see, if man was given a work, that's why you need a helper to accomplish the work. Now, not the job, the nine to five, but to help with that calling. What is that calling that God has placed in your life? And that's where a lot of men are stuck because you don't know your calling, but you're married to a woman and says, I don't know what your life is all about. And you're expecting me to find out what God has given you. 
See, God gave the work to the man. Understand that. That is not to put ladies down, but understand every man has a calling on their life. And the reason why your wife is frustrated is because the reason she was attracted to you is because you used to know what your work was, what your calling was, but yet you've lost sight of it. And she's thinking, now you're looking to me to come up with what your work should be. That's something you get directly from your source, your Abba. Go to your Abba and say, what do you want me to do? And that's the problem. See, men, we are the foundation, but we have a function. We don't just sit here and yeah, I'm in charge of everything. No, 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 no. We have a function. There are things that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be leading. We have this work. We're supposed to be cultivating something. People should look at your family, and they should be impressed by what you have cultivated. Or if they're looking at your wife, and they're looking at your children, they're saying, hmm, got some weeds growing up in that garden. And you say, you're right. I need to get back to it. Can you pray for me? Can you help me? And we get back to the work that which God has called us to. You see, God never gave Adam a finished product. God gave the man a work, and he gave him work before he gave him a woman because a man needs to know his work before he receives the woman. And that's the problem today. Everybody's off looking to find themselves, find their purpose. Understand that God wants you to find what he's called you to do. And I would dare say, the reason your wife was really attracted to you is not because of your good looks. Not because you were charming and you would sing and you would write poems. It's because you used to know what your work was. You used to know what you were going to accomplish. What happened to those dreams and visions? What happened to that? Do you know what a vision is simply something where you say, you know what, that is that, is that, that, that future, that's, that, that distant future, That's what a vision is, but too often men lose sight of that vision. And so God wants you to understand that vision is a preview of a finished future. It's something that you're looking for, something you're working toward. You're like, I'm not there yet, but that's what I'm going for. That gives your wife so much satisfaction when she's like, we're on a mission together. Uh, Jane came to me, she wrote a letter, and she said, you know, I've been busy with school and with my health. I haven't been as busy as the church, haven't been able to help out as much. And she said, it's... I didn't think it would affect me like it has, but I'm, I'm finding I'm losing my satisfaction. I just, I don't feel like I'm a part of something. I said, isn't that something? That she's feeling distant, disconnected, because she's not a part of this work as much as she wants to be. Because this is why she is married to me, to accomplish something for God. We're in it together. You are looking for a partnership. That's what happens. That's where where the two of you are working together. But what happens, culture is constantly trying to say, hey, she has her friends. She has her bank account. She has her room and her life. And he has his bank account, his friends, his room, his life. And you just happen to be cohabitating together. And you get a tax break at, at the end of every year. That's not what God implanted. That's not what we see here in the scripture. But yet how many times is that what marriage devolves into? When God is saying, no, 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 I want him to be a helper on the work that I've called the man to. So what is your work? And if you say, I don't know, then we seek God and we say, God, reveal it to us. Because God told Adam what his work was. He was to tend the garden, to keep it, to make sure nothing happened to it. So God gives man a work. And I love it because God really wants man to have a responsibility before he enters into matrimony. God wants men to understand responsibility, and that's one thing that we're seeing a lack of is nobody wants to take responsibility these days. Nobody wants to take any responsibility for the problems, for the issues, for the hang-ups, for the bad habits, and we need somebody to say, I'm the foundation, it's my fault, I'm going to dive into it, and I'm going to accept responsibility for this. We can blame anybody, but that's not what a mature person does. A matured person accepts responsibility and says, the world isn't the way that God wants it. Well, he told me to occupy till, his come, till he comes because this is about a king, his kingdom. God rules and reigns the earth. But some of us have abdicated that. And we just think, well, let it all burn and we'll start over when God wants to start over. No, no, in the meantime, we can reach some people. We can tell people about Jesus. We can show people the love of Christ. We're not done yet. You see, we need to get back to knowing our purpose. You see, your vision is private, but it's not personal. Share it with your wife. Say that, you know what, God's put some, some vision, some dreams in my heart. And maybe you have that plan. My wife and I, we talk about things. We sit down, we make a plan for the year. We say, hey, what are we trying to accomplish? What do we want to do with our lives? My wife, she came to me and she said, hey, here's what we need to retire at this age. And I looked at the number. I was like, oh, she's already thinking about retirement. That's wise planning. We're thinking about the future. 
She's thinking, hey, what are we doing for the kids' college? And I said, college? They ain't going to college. What are you talking about? It's expensive. They could go to uh, trade school. They could do something else. She was like, no, they're going to college. I was like, oh, man, i got to start saving for college. And she's making these plans, and that's what's important, that we start thinking about the future. Our church is thinking about the future. Our church is making plans. It's why we have a building plan. It's why we have a building fund. It's why we pray for the future. It's why we believe that we need to reach more people. It's why we're not just sitting here and saying, oh, man, well, this is as good as it gets, and park it there. And that's what sometimes happens to a man. He loses sight of the vision that God's called him to. Or you say, "Uh, well, I, I don't have much time left. There's always a work that God can give you. And if you don't know what that work is, then may this this message be the message that challenges you to find your work. Say, what is my work? What can I do? What does God want me to do? Where's that area that there's some chaos, where there's some problems? Because God's solution to every problem has always been to send a man in there. And I know the running joke, and I know, well, if you want to mess something in, just get some men to do it. They'll mess it up. I'm just a little bit tired of culture just constantly putting down men. Every time you see a man in a, hit, in, in a sitcom, they're, 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 they're some idiot, some bozo, some alcoholic, some just loser dad. Can we just say that's not accurate? And why would culture keep going after men, going after men, going after men? Have you noticed culture never paints women like that? Never. It doesn't. But it does paint men like that. That's why my dad would never let us watch The Simpsons. Because my dad was like, you're never allowed to watch a father, because that is a terrible example, and America has enough examples like that. We don't need more. I'm not going to allow you to be influenced by that. And so we need to once again step back and say, Lord, give me a vision for what you want. Give me your work. Of course, and we turn a page, and we come to chapter number three, and what happened? Verse number one, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. We see the serpent comes, begins to speak to Eve, begins to give her the fruit, begins to get her to doubt and to question. And he, he gives her the fruit. She takes it. She eats it. Nothing happens to her. So what does she do? She gives it to the man. Did the man have expressed command from God in chapter 2 not to eat it? Yes, he did. Did Eve have that expressed command from God? No, she didn't. But she should have through the man. He should have taught her. He should have led her. But here's the funny thing. We know that the man had gone past him and abdicated his role because the Bible says that Eve gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate, and immediately the eyes of them both were opened. We see that fathers are foundation, that fathers are, have a function, but I want you to also see fathers are flawed. We are flawed, aren't we? We're not perfect. It's not a man in this room who pretends to be perfect. There's not a man in this room who gets it right every time. There's not a man in this room that never strikes out. There's not a man in this room who doesn't fumble the ball, who doesn't mess up, who doesn't uh, uh, fail at times. And I'm not here to say, man, you are perfect. As a matter of fact, let's just call it out that we are flawed. And it comes from Adam. Romans chapter number 5. So as by the offense of one, sin passed down to all men. Because of Adam. Adam's sin, and because of his sin, it, it threw us, uh, cast us all down. And so we understand that we are flawed. So I know some of you are holding this burden that my children aren't turning out, my marriage's not like what it wants, and there's this weight on you. And I'm not talking about the weight of responsibility because you're the foundation, I'm talking to the weight because you know you're flawed. We know we're flawed. And I know at times you hear things from, our, from your wife who says, I can't believe you messed up like that. And I know it's hard to hear, and we hear that sometimes as men. And I don't mean it to get tense and uncomfortable, but I'm just saying, I know the men in this room have a tough exterior. But just so you know, ladies, that wrecks us. Inside, we're still that four-year-old little boy that seeks his mama's approval. Every man in here. Every man in here. You say, well, look at him. He's got muscles on muscles, tattoos, hardcore. He's tough. My words don't affect him. Oh, they level him. They level him. There is nobody knows how to cut down a man than his woman. It's like the dagger straight to the heart. It levels him. And you know what's worse is what 
you don't understand is oftentimes as soon as a man commits the mistake, we are our own worst enemy. We're on ourselves before you ever got there. So we're like, I'm hearing it for myself, and I'm also hearing it for you. I'm flawed. And what happens is a lot of men stay stuck in that mentality that I'm flawed. So what happens to the work? Well, I'm flawed. I can't carry out the work. I can't do it. I'm not good enough. I already failed. I already messed up. I've already doomed the entire human race. How would you like to be Adam? The whole human race doomed because you had to go vegan. Come on, man. Just stick to meat. Just eat meat. You're a dude. None of this whole 30 stuff. Come on. What are you doing? Trying to be healthy. You're like the rest of us. But I love how Genesis 3 ends, though. Would you turn there with me? Verse 23, Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. We see that men are flawed. You know why we're flawed? We're flawed because of a little thing that we drift from. And I, need, and I know I'm moving slow. I apologize. I'm trying to break this down because this is deeper. You know, the definition for Eden, when you study the word Eden, is Eden. It's like, great, that's a lot of help. <laughs> There's got to be more. So we begin to study a little bit more. The definition from Eden is Eden, but it's got five Hebrew markers. You say, what do you mean markers? The Hebrew language is complex, all right? And I didn't study it in seminary. <laughs> I studied Greek. But I have Google, and Google's amazing. And these markers give us indicators to what Eden means. And it came to find out the reason we've never been able to find the Garden of Eden is because the Garden of Eden is not actually a place. You know that, right? You said, no, 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 no. In this chapter, it says between this river and that river and this and that, and it's there. Well, we've never found it. Because Eden's not a place. It's a presence. Eden is the presence of God. That's what Eden is. You see, heaven was wherever God was because heaven was a direct access to God because Adam got to walk with God in the cool of the morning and he had direct presence and access with God. So what actually happened was he was sent out of the presence of God. This is why for generations they had to worship God, but only the high priest could go in once a year and atone for the sins and go into the Holy of Holies. And if he wasn't totally pure, he would die because you couldn't go back into the presence. Because Eden is the presence of God. And here's what I want us to understand. We now know because of Christ's substitutionary payment on the cross, we now have access to God. Each and every one of us are a high priest and can come boldly to the throne of God. So we are not looking for Eden anymore. Because Eden is not a place, it is God's presence. And here's what happens. Understand this, my friend. Men malfunction when we get away from God. That's the truth. We malfunction when we get away from God. Or you could say it like this. Men aren't meant to be out of the presence of God. We are meant to be in the presence of God. We are meant to constantly have communion and fellowship with God. That should be our modus operandi, that men constantly are walking in the presence of God. And here's the great thing about the presence of God. It doesn't have to be any particular time or place. That's why your job can be a place of worship. That's why your home can be a place of worship. That's why the golf course can be a place of worship. That's why anywhere you are, you should say, I want to be in the presence of God. I want God's holiness. Because here's what happens. The world and the culture is trying to get you men through temptation or distraction. That's how Satan gets the men. He's like, I will either tempt you or I'll just distract you and I'll get you off course. But when you and I say, no, 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 Eden is a place where I meet with God. This morning I went to my Eden. This morning I opened up the pages of God's word. And this morning I said, God, I need to meet with you. And God fellowships with us. And this is where God begins to do a work. You see, fathers are flawed, but God is faithful. And God says, hey, I sent them out. The word sent means a mission. And God didn't force him. He said, I've got a mission now for you. God put him back out because God said, my word is about three things. It's about a king, a kingdom, and his royal kids. 
And God says, hey, we need to occupy. We need to bring heaven to earth. I've got a mission. And so this morning, all of us men, we have a mission. We've got a function. There's something that God wants us to do as men. And this is what I love about when Paul wrote in Romans 5. He said, therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and thus death spreads to all men because all sinned. But I love this, verse 15. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Hey, dads, we're flawed, but our God is faithful. Our God is faithful. He makes a way where there was no way. Our God is good. So as we are going through, we understand that we're the foundation. We understand that we have a function. But lastly and thirdly, we understand that even though we are flawed, there is a faithful God. So I I don't want you to walk out of here thinking, oh man, I messed up and I failed. No, no, no. We have a faithful God. We have a God who, he is the one that is working all things together for good. We have a God that's redirecting. You say, well, I didn't have a good father figure and I I didn't have all these things. You know, my dad has never been one to reach out. Last week, he came and spoke. Uh, My dad, I love my dad, but he didn't grow up with a dad. And some of you didn't grow up with a dad. So the way he interacts with his children is not healthy. He's not abusive. He's not mean. He just doesn't know how to be a dad. Why? Because men are mirrors. We reflect back what we've seen. He didn't see anything. Nothing. He went to an old German Baptist church, and his mom didn't know how to raise him, so guess what? His mom would tell the deacons if he was bad, and so the deacons would come over and spank him. How would you like random men showing up at your house and spanking you at 9 and 10 years old? You say, that's called child abuse. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. This morning at 4.30, I'm up, I'm reading my Bible, and my dad, he, he's made great strides. Great strides for a man who didn't grow up without a father. And this morning he texted me. Understand, my dad never says I love you. My brothers and I were talking about it. Has dad ever said he's proud of you? No. Has he ever said he's proud of you? No. I was like, oh, okay. All right, thought I was the only one. Okay, cool. <laughs> I got a text this morning. The best Father's Day gift. Hey, just want to let you know I'm proud of you. Fathers are flawed, but God is faithful. God is faithful. God is always working. If you, man of God, man of God, foundation, if you will say, God, I'm, I'm not perfect. I know I'm flawed, but God, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep fighting. God says, yeah, you've got to function. I've got to work for you, and it's a great work, and I've got a purpose for you, and you're going to do something. You're going to accomplish something. And God says, guess what? Even though you're going to mess up and you're failed, guess what? That's where my faithfulness steps in because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's Christ in me. It's Christ doing the work through me. And so you and I, we don't have to get tripped up by our faults and failures and flaws because we know that there's a faithful God. When we come to him, If we confess our faults, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from our sins and to forgive us from all unrighteousness. Can we all stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? Worship team, would you come to the front? Fathers, you are so needed, you are so valuable, you are so important. There was never more of a need for godly men than today. And so today... Fathers, we want to lift you up. Today, fathers, we want to encourage you. We want to build you up. You are a man of God. Don't buy into the lie that culture has told you, that you're irrelevant, that we can have somebody else take your place. Understand, even psychiatrists and psychologists have to admit that we need fathers. All the problems that you're seeing today can be traced to a father wound. All of them. All of our spiritual problems can be traced to the wound of sin needing to be healed by our Heavenly Father. This morning, you may come in here and you may, you may be weighed down by the hurts of life and say, I, I don't know, I'm not a father. I just, 
understand we serve a faithful God. We serve a faithful God, a good God, a God who is there, a God who heals, a God who helps, a God who shows up. You say, my dad has passed on. My dad's no longer here, and I'd love to have one more conversation with him. And that's where your heavenly father, he steps in, and you say, God, you are my father, and I cry, Abba, Father. You are my source. You are my sustainer. You are my supporter. Maybe this morning we need to come back and say, Abba, I need you. Father, I need you. God, I need you. And we seek him. And we ask God to sustain us, to support us. Because he is the rock that our foundations are built on. Heavenly Father, we love you. Lord, I pray for the men in this room. I pray that you would raise up some of the strongest, most godly men. I pray that they would understand that they have a great and high and holy calling on their life. And maybe they have not always lived up to that calling, but we believe that you are faithful, that you are raising them up. You are encouraging them. You are helping them. And so, Father, we pray for all the men in this room. We pray that you would bless them, that you would use them. May this morning they once again see what you have called them to be, that you gave them a work before you gave them anything else. You gave them that calling, God. And I pray that they would get back to their calling. They would get back to what you've called them to be and that they would understand that you are working. And yes, we may fall, but a just man riseth up again. And so, Father, help the men that have fallen to get back up. Help them to know that today that is a great day because we serve a faithful God. I pray that you'd bless them. We pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, We're going to sing a song of worship, but while we do, we want to make sure that the altars are open, and maybe you want to spend time just in prayer. You can make an altar of your seat, or you can kneel here at the front, but I don't want to let a moment go by where you don't have a chance to speak to your Abba, or maybe you don't know God as your Father, and I'm here to tell you that God sent His Son to die on the cross for you so that you could call God your Father so that you can experience what they call the new birth, the spiritual birth. And maybe you know that you're convicted of a sin and you need a Savior. And this morning you say, I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. And you say, I want to pray a prayer and ask Jesus Christ in my heart. Is that you? You lift up your hand and I pray for you. Is that you? Well, if God is prompting you, come and speak to me afterward. I'd love to pray with you. But right now as we worship together, and you right now, you cry out to your Abba as we worship. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.